David Whitehead, would you say hi to us? Hi, everybody. It's good to meet you. Everybody, David is uh, going to be preaching for us today, and I'm really grateful for him, uh, for his willingness to be with us. Now, David uh, is a very influential man in my life. Um, he is my city-to-city church planting coach, um, which means that everything I do wrong, you can blame David. Not sure that's fair. Yeah, that's but, right. But I'm going to say it anyway, David. I'll take it anyway. That's fine. Yeah. Well, you're a nice guy. You're a nice guy. David, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, uh, what you do at Redeemer City to City. Now, just to remind Emmanuel, Redeemer City to City is, David, how would you describe it? I describe it as kind of like a mission organization or an organization that helps churches get going. Is that? Yeah, I say at its core, uh, since I'd say at its core, it's really a, a resource and service provider that specializes on helping churches get off the ground or renew toward the mission of the gospel. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and Emmanuel wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Redeemer City to City. So we're really grateful uh, for, for everything that uh, City to City does. Now, David, tell us what your role is at Redeemer City to City. I'm, I'm what my official role is the director of uh, coaching globally. So what I do is I, I help work with, I not only coach leaders like Pastor Jim, but I also uh, help set up networks and uh, coaching structures for where city to city serves uh, around the world. So it's a, it's a really fun job when you get to do it. Of course, now it's, it sounds really great until you're in your, you know, kind of spending eight hours a day as we all are in our room looking at a Zoom call. Right, because nor- normally you're traveling all over the place all the time, aren't you? Yeah, last year I put in 130,000 miles, so yeah. Wow, okay. So given, given your uh, perspective, given the fact that you've been all over the world and you talk to church leaders everywhere, what's something that you see God doing uh, maybe in New York City, or what do you, is something that you see God doing around the world? Well... Yeah, that's that's such a loaded question because the pandemic has changed everything, right? But one of the things that has come out of this is it's causing people to ask, what makes the church the church? We've One of my friends put it this way. He said, um, if you want to learn how to play chess, uh, one of the best ways to learn how to play chess is to take off the queen and then determine what all the other pieces on the chessboard can do. And Sunday morning has been the queen, in a mm-hmm. sense. That's now off the chessboard in many ways, except for a virtual experience like this. Right. So then what are all the other pieces? Mm-hmm. And what's their role? So what I'm seeing are pastors discovering the, the body itself, the church itself, and activating it in ways that um, desperation has brought them out of, in many ways, some uh, set ways of approaching things. That is really helpful. And you know what, Emmanuel, um, you, one of the things that I've noticed uh, just in terms of the last few months or whatever, um, it's been interesting to watch uh, Emmanuel uh, start praying together more. So we're praying together morning and evening throughout the week. Um, that, That has been new. It's been a new way of gathering people, a new way of supporting one another. I've noticed an uptick in concern for uh, learning how to have spiritual conversations uh, with people who don't think Jesus is a good idea or, or don't think about him at all. 
Um, and also, Emmanuel, th there's been some wonderful ways in which you have served people in need uh, in ways that, that have been new to us. And we're, we're, we're going to be uh, telling some of those stories in the weeks to come. But um, that's really, really encouraging, David. Thank you. For it's been that. really encouraging, Pastor Jim, because uh, in many ways, our Chinese these brothers and sisters and our brothers and sisters in the Islamic world have a lot to teach us because this is actually the world they've been in for a very long time. We're the ones new to this world. And they are the most dynamic, growth explosive. I work with the underground church of China. It is explosive in a great way. Uh, India, the same thing. So we're kind of late to the party and it took a pandemic to get us here, but we have a lot to learn. And there's a lot to learn in this particular time. Wow. Wow. Oh, Lord, humble us. Humble us before our brothers and sisters um, who are uh, beyond us. Um, David, what's something that we can pray for, for uh, your ministry or for city to city um, more broadly? Well, one of the, uh, I think, overt needs right now is uh, Tim Keller, as you may be aware, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It was caught in a very early stage, but uh, I think the Keller family could really use our prayers. And then beyond that, um, city to city is going through the thing, the exact same thing that churches are going through. We're going, oh, we have to redesign everything. So mm -hmm. prayers for us as we are uh, redesigning our training models, our mentoring models, just everything we're doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, prayers for that would be greatly appreciated. Fantastic, let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, uh, we honor you and we glorify you uh, for, your, um, for your kindness, for your grace, your, um, and your power. The fact that you're still in control, even when we're, we feel the fact that we're not. We're, we're never that in control, but sometimes we feel that reality more acutely. But thank you that you're, you're still in control and that you're the perfect union of uh, power and kindness and love and justice all together. So Father, we uh, thank you for the ministry of City to City. We thank you for uh, David's ministry. And we pray that you would strengthen and renew uh, David and the ministry at uh, Redeemer City to City. We thank you for what you're doing around the world. We thank you for uh, the church. Uh, uh, you're, you're teaching the church and causing the church to, so to speak, retool and refocus upon you and refocus upon the gospel and, uh, and no longer rest on some of the things other than you and the gospel that we have sometimes done. So Lord, uh, do that work of transforming us, do that work here at Emmanuel, do that work of retooling us and do that work deeply. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in China and in the Islamic world who uh, have taught us, well, have, have, you have taught them so much and we wanna learn from them, we wanna sit at their feet. Uh, teach us how to do that. Father, we pray for the Keller family that you will strengthen them and renew them. We pray for Tim's healing, miraculous healing and medical healing. We pray for both. Um, and Lord, we ask that you'd strengthen uh, the Keller family. And now, Lord, will you uh, focus us in on your word? Will you grant us to be able to hear and inwardly digest your word that we would hear you speak to us? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, thank you for preaching. Um, we're looking forward to hearing you in just a minute. We're going to uh, listen to God's word. Joella, will you read uh, the text from Matthew? A reading from Matthew 10, starting at verse 34. 
Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. David, will you go ahead and uh, preach for us? Thank you so much. It'll be my joy. Once again, good morning, everyone. It, it, it is truly a pleasure to meet you. Um, and so um, I send greetings from city to city. And it's an honor to be here to uh, share this pulpit uh, and this community. So thank you for, uh, for this time, this opportunity. What a passage. When uh, Pastor Jim said, hey, this is what's in the lectionary, I looked and I thought, actually, it's a difficult passage. Perfect. Perfect for where we are right now. Families set against each other. Does any of that sound familiar? Um, I, I recently did a post on, because uh, I'm a boomer, I'm required by law to use Facebook and nothing else. So um, I, I did a post on Facebook and there was, um, uh, it was a, a post, I've been very active as a, as a white middle-aged male. I feel like it's very important to speak about the issues of racial injustice and the system that uh, has promoted that. And so uh, it's good to meet you. So anyway, it's, it's so having that, um, needless to say, uh, I got quite the response from some Facebook people. And so it's been a back and forth. And how many of us have made any kind of comment about the current state of the world, whether it's politics or the racial hostilities or the pandemic, and have, expo and have been in the middle of suddenly exposing a deep divide among friends and family and people that you know and love. I'm sure none of you can relate to this, but just think of somebody who might know someone who actually has experienced that kind of tension, all right? And Jesus tells us here that he actually brings divisions, maybe not like this, but of a different kind. One of the things I have to say to us today is, how do we see Jesus? What are our assumptions? We, we come in with many assumptions about Jesus Christ. Is your imagery of a white man holding a sheep? That's a nice, sweet image. And 
and in many ways, because God became flesh, it could be appropriate in terms of a Eurocentric idea of Jesus. But let's remember that Jesus was born in Galilee, and Galilee is current-day Palestine. Have you ever thought that the Jesus of the first century, the one that we're reading about in the Bible, would be considered a Palestinian today? Think about that. Brown skin. It's going to be speaking Aramaic. And it's very important because the backlash of our desire to make Jesus accessible can create many times imageries and thoughts about him that may not be in line with Scripture. And we can create caricatures of this Jesus. And, and um, I've, I've put together a clip that I think might capture this really well. Actually, that great, um, that great Christian movie, Talladega Nights. That's a joke. I'm going to show you a clip from Talladega Nights about what happens when suddenly Jesus goes from being this Bible, the, the Jesus of Scripture, to being a Jesus that looks a lot like the way we want him to. <laughs> I hope you found that as humorous as I did. But actually, I found it to be brilliant, too. You know, it's insightful about the ways that we all manipulate our view of Jesus. Now, think about this. This is really important because your view of who Jesus is determines the way that you live your life. Let that sink in. Your view of who Jesus is determines the way that you live your life. And in this passage we've just read about, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And then what, what is this sword of Jesus? It's, it's interesting because he goes at the heart of one of the deepest cultural values of his day, and that's a family. He begins to talk about the role of family. Now, you've got to realize in our Western individualist culture, we kind of have our own you know, our, our own way of doing things. And we would say, hey, that's not my, you know, if you have a weird uncle uh, who's gone to prison, that's no big deal on you because that's your uncle and that's not your life. In, in first century Palestine, in first century Galilee, that was not the case. Actually, your identity was based around your family. This is how you built wealth. This is how you gained inheritance. Everything was about family. That's why they always said Jesus of Nazareth. This was who he was identified with. So when you, when you understand the cultural backdrop, the teaching that Jesus had was totally disruptive to the hearers of that day. What is our re reaction to this scripture? When he says you cannot love father or mother, sister or brother, anyone, you've got to take up your cross. In many ways, this is a rabbinical teaching style that Christ used where uh, you use exaggeration to make a point. You might remember the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about if you looked at a woman with any uh, lust in, you, you, it'd be better to have your eye plucked out. It'd be re better to have your hand cut off. If we took that teaching literally, the, the church would be filled with one-eyed, one-handed people. It was metaphor. It was an exaggeration. And here Jesus is expounding a text to make a point that was pretty much inconceivable to most of his hearers. 
I mean, loving family members, especially parents, was one of the highest duties of the Jewish identity. And the only one who could rightfully demand greater love was God himself. The love of God reigning supreme, even over the family. What is Jesus' sword? Well, in another passage we see in the book of Hebrews, it, it talks about his word being a sword. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is li living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And it says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus was making a challenge to his hearers' allegiances. I would submit to you that as followers of Jesus, he challenges us in the same way. Maybe it's a family idolatry that we have. Maybe it's a national idolatry. Maybe it's a political idolatry. Isn't it great to be a guest speaker? I can come right in and shake the cage. But Jesus is clear. He's not here to bring peace, but a sword. And not a sword to divide a nation politically, but a sword maybe to divide our false faith in political systems to bring salvation. Bear with me for a moment. You know, in certain parts of the country, Christians have a hard time that anyone can be a believer and be a Republican. In other parts of the country, Christians have a really hard time that anyone could be a believer and a Democrat. Why? It's because it always seems like the Jesus we want to follow kind of has our political proclivities. The Jesus we want to follow has the same kind of tastes we do. They like the same kind of things we like. He, he is very much like Leonard Skinner on the front, and I'm a little hammered. What if Jesus looks very different than that? When we see the Christ of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, what we see is a figure who will both offend both conservative and liberal sensibilities. He is an equal opportunity offender. I, our dietrous gymnastics to maintain a false sense of control, crash into a Jesus who says, okay, I'm going to deal with your biggest idol, family or politics or your own identity. And I'm going to tell you this, you need to take up your cross and follow after me. Wow. Wow. What a stunning challenge. What is taking up a cross? Once again, back, back in first century Galilee of, uh, or Rome, if you saw someone carrying a cross across the courtyard, no one said, oh, that's Omar, the cross salesman. Nobody said that. What was happening? They were a criminal who was on their way to die in one of the most barbaric ways of execution known to the world. It was about public humiliation. 
It was about uh, the, 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 it was a power play over them. It was a way that governments, that the regimes uh, uh, exuded power. We will crucify these people to basically say, beware to anyone else when you look upon this body on this piece of wood that you will know we will do the same to you if you, if you oppose us. Barbaric, hard. That's one of the reasons why I think Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, has so much power because when he, when he depicts the crucifixion, there is, it is a goth film. It is a slasher movie. It is horrific, which is what it should be. So when African-American theologian James Cone wrote the book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he struck a nerve. There are a lot of things I may not agree with Cone, but man, I agree with this. Maybe when we talk about taking up our cross, maybe what we should say is talk about lynching. Maybe instead of the nice little designer gold crosses that we buy and wear around our neck, maybe we should get a little noose or an electric chair or a syringe for lethal injection because that is actually what this is about. Scandalous, barbaric, suffering-filled way to die. That's what Jesus was saying. He challenges us in our idolatries. He challenges us no matter who is president. He challenges us no matter who, what our persuasion is and says, are you willing to take up your cross and follow after me? Brothers and sisters, I'd like to ask you if we're going to, we are to honor family. I want to honor family, but realize that Christ is calling us to take up our cross and follow after him. What does taking up that cross in your family mean to you? I want that to sink in. Maybe it's in the way we try to control our kids. Maybe it's in the way we interact with our spouse. Maybe it's in the relationship that we have with family members that in an Anglo format would be seen as extended, in a, in a non-Anglo format would be seen as nuclear. What does taking up the cross mean when it, retains, when it relates to your family? We were placed in this nation at this time, but I want to challenge you to realize that Christ calls up to take up our cross and follow after him. What does it mean to take up our cross and follow after him in this time of national identity? Notice that I'm not filling in the blank because there's someone who wants to fill in the blank for you. What does it mean to take up this cross in this nation at this time? I'm an Upper West Sider, so yeah, I believe in being politically active. But realize that Christ calls us to take up our cross and follow after him. What does taking up that cross in your political views mean for you?
Notice that the passage of our reading didn't stop with the cross. Because at the end of the cross is a new life. A new life that's so profound. It creates new relationships. As we receive others who have followed after Jesus, who are different from us. It causes us to receive people, others who are affiliated with the cross. It causes us to listen for the prophetic of what this passage calls the righteous. It causes us to provide and care for each other as disciples of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is a calling that leads us beyond our racial preferences and challenges us to offer cold water to, to others who come, upon, to come to us in the name of the Lord from different ethnic backgrounds. What does a, cold, a, a cup of cold water look like to our brothers and sisters who are majority world but minority culture in the U.S.? What does that look like? Let that sink in. Lord, help us. Lord, guide us. And the good news is that none of this escapes God's attention. Jesus says there's a reward for people who are willing to do this. He brought a sword that would divide, divide people that would, that would cause people to have to come into conflict, and yet there's a reward for those who are willing to follow him. What kind of reward? Well, Jesus was also foretelling the path that he was about to take. The book of Colossians shares with us that this God through whom and for whom and to whom that all things were made as the creator of the earth was willing to take up a cross and die in a humiliating, barbaric way. Why? Because he knew that we could not handle that perfect standard that a holy, righteous God, a creator, was holding us to. And Christ said, Lord, I will take their place. And it opens the door for us to come back to a perfect and holy God. Brothers and sisters, Christ says, because of the work that he did on the cross, if we are willing to follow in his steps, he offers us living water. He offers us a cold drink, something that refreshes, something that will spring up in us as living water that goes and it defies political affiliations. It defies Everything. Well, uh, listen, I'm prayerful that Emmanuel has got people who have very different views about the way things ought to be. That should be the mark of the church. But if you think Jesus is in your image, you're not going to like it. If your Jesus is Republican or Democrat, if your Jesus is liberal or conservative, if your Jesus is a lot like you, you may be even repulsed or offended because you actually like that Jesus. And this Jesus challenges you, kind of upends your world. But the opportunity and the challenge for us today is to embrace the Jesus of Scripture. The one who challenges our cultural assumptions with a sword <laughs> 
the one who offers us a way back to God today through taking up our cross, losing our lives in order to find it. He paved the way by taking up his cross to open a pathway back to God. That for those of us who have faith in Jesus is our great pathway. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, that's why he says he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's guiding us forward to the life you and I were originally intended to live. But our false identities, our false idolatries have kept us from it. Would you listen to the voice of Jesus today? What are the things that you might be hanging on to that God is saying, no, no, no. You've got to be willing to deny that. Take up your cross and follow after me. And I see and I will reward and I will give you a life far greater than anything that you could have imagined. I'm 60 right now. On October 13th, 1980, as an atheist, I prayed a prayer, Lord, I don't know much about it, but if you're the way, the truth, and the life, then I'm going to find out how true this is. And to be quite candid, I prayed, prayed back then a very arrogant prayer. I said, and if you're full of it, Lord, I'll find out in three weeks. That was my prayer. October 13, 1980. I stand before you as a witness that as one who takes up the cross, there is life. As one who's willing to lay down the preferences, my wife and I have been on such an adventure where God upends our lives over and over and over again. And you and I now have a new opportunity with this pandemic, with the racial tensions, to challenge our assumptions and to be able to take up our cross as the Lord guides us, that we might be able to receive life and offer that life to others. God sees and he rewards. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing me to share. Oh Lord, I trust your Holy Spirit to do the work only you can do here. To touch lives and hearts as I've shared these things, Lord. We make no apology for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, would you help Guide us, shape us as a people in this new place where now we're all playing the chess game without a major piece, Father. Help us to discover all the other things you have for us as we are willing to take up our cross and follow after you. In Christ's name, amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.